Amen. Thank you, Riley Tuttle. And we need to pray for Riley and his wife. They are planning to move to Terre Haute. Actually, Riley, it's Petersburg, right? Where are the Tuttle's at? Where are the back left? Where are you people? Okay. Petersburg, right? Where? Brazil, Indiana? Well, that's not too far away to come to our church. What is that, about 40 minutes? You ought to come to Faith Baptist Church then. That's not too far away. If you love Jesus, you would. All right, Matthew. <laughs> I, know they're, I know they're moving. They're, they're, they're moving. But, uh, but regardless of that, we love Riley, and we love his wife and his family. And, and, uh, and Riley's got a good voice, doesn't he? How many of you remember when I used to tell him to sing back home again in Indiana? Do you remember that? I think, Riley, when are you leaving to move down there, over there? Oh, in April? Oh, well, this isn't even news then. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, then maybe would you get back home in Indiana ready for me and sing it sometime? Well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Maybe even on a Sunday morning. Nah, probably Sunday night. Sunday night. Okay, Sunday night. Yeah, back home again in Indiana. I want that for sure. Maybe on towards a little later on. A little, not for Easter, though. Take your Bible with me. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. That young man has a wonderful voice. Matthew chapter 16 in your Bible. This morning, I mentioned in the morning message about some work that I'm doing for a couple classes, actually, that I'll be teaching this week. I wish you'd pray for me this week. I will be teaching and preaching multiple times down at uh, Pensacola Christian College this week. It's going to be a very, very busy week. I will be here next Sunday. Don't worry about that. It's just over the, the course of the week. And uh, they've asked me to teach a course. It is two hours in duration. That means these poor kids are going to be in a room uh, saddled with listening to me for two solid hours. Can you imagine that? I, I can't even begin to imagine it. Uh, they asked me to teach on the topic <coughs> of church revitalization. I'm actually going to be speaking to their church planting class, but there is a new kind of ministry, a new idea of ministry that has arisen in the last few years called church revitalization. Now, what is that all about? There are many, many churches, thousands of them all over the country that are struggling right now to move ahead. Um, COVID for most churches didn't do a lot. COVID was a huge blessing to us in so many ways, uh, but COVID didn't do a lot for most churches. In fact, it was, it was a real negative. People got all divided and fussing and fuming about COVID, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. By the way, doesn't that all sound kind of ridiculous now? I mean, come on now, folks. It's just all ridiculous, okay? The whole thing was ridiculous, and we were lied to consistently by our government. We were deceived and, and, and lied to, and the whole thing was just goofy. And, and I, uh, Pastor Monty, are you a COVID denier? I don't know. It seems like the flu to me. But anyway, anyway we, we know that was a thing, but we all got through that, but a lot of churches really struggled. One of the saddest things was this, that churches divided internally, I'm not talking about they, they struggled, you know, closed, not closed, but they divided internally. People got mad at one another. People took sides over something that is completely a neutral thing. People took sides about it, and they got angry with one another, and they started tattling on one another. Pastor Monty, so-and-so didn't wear a mask. I never want to hear about that stuff again. Okay, don't ever tattle to me. If you're offended by something, go to that person. But if you're, I'm offended they didn't wear a mask. If that's your offense, then you need to grow up. That's ridiculous, okay? But churches got divided. So there was a lot of strife 
in a lot of places. And what happened was, uh, that was, and, and it's been coming on for a long time, that was in part the impetus for um, a lot of churches really struggling, and frankly, a lot of churches closing their doors. And I gave you the statistic that 4,000, this is a, on average, Barna statistic, that 4,000 churches per year in America are closing their doors. We have fewer and fewer churches. Even though we're planting 1,000 churches a year, obviously the simple math says we're not able to keep up with the attrition in the churches. And so a new ministry kind of has arisen. They're calling it the, the Ministry of Revitalization, where a young man is trained and specializes in going into a church that is struggling <coughs> and bringing new life into that church, bringing new vision into that church. Whoa. What, was that me? Eric, did I do something? When it comes to, to I'll tell you, that woke all of you up. <laughs> Amen, what a blessing. Whenever something goes wrong with technology, I quickly blame myself for blowing it up. Okay. Uh, but but uh, where was I? I was oh, talking about church revitalization. So a young man will go into a place, and he will uh, come bring new life to that place. He will bring enthusiasm to that place and try to restore that church, okay? I think it's a very, very vital ministry. And so one of the questions that the dean of the seminary was asking me about when we were talking about the topic he said, you've gone into a couple tough churches in your life. My very first church was about 35 people in North Carolina. This is way, way back in 1988. And uh, way back then, in my first church, we had about 35 people. I was 21 years old, folks. 21, 21 years old. How ridiculous for them to vote in a 21-year-old. That shows the level of desperation at that church. And so they voted me in, and there was about $114,000 worth of debt, which doesn't sound like a lot, but back in that time it was, with 35 people it was, and, uh, and it was struggling. Church was struggling uh, to the glory of God. And by the way, he did it, he did it. That church grew to over 200 and to the glory of God, we were very happy about that. Then coming to faith, there were a few little wrinkles in the fabric uh, when we first came to faith, some problems that were here. And you know what we saw at this church? We saw God do exceedingly abundantly over, we, over what we could ever ask or think. And so uh, the dean was saying, you know, you've, you've helped some churches come along a little bit. He said, we want to know what is your secret? What is your plan? What is your program? And for one of the few times in my life, I was on total dead mouth. So what is dead mouth? It means I was speechless. I was speechless. And I said, well, uh, you want me to talk about that for two hours? <laughs> you, you want me to talk about my plan for two hours? And, uh, and he said, yes. He said, we'd, we'd like to know exactly what you need to do. <laughs> and I was laughing. I said... I truly don't have a plan. I said, I truly don't have an agenda. I didn't have a step-by-step -step instruction guide, and I, I didn't. And so this has bothered me. The, the past three weeks while I've been thinking about all this, this has kind of bothered me. I'm thinking, what am I going to say? Because I, I can't give you some kind of secret plan. What am I going to say? I think the secret has nothing to do with me or a plan. And by the way, I wish young pastors would understand it's not about you. Oh, frankly, I wish every pastor would understand it's not about you. It's not about me. 
It's about him. Matthew chapter 16 in your Bible. Look with me, if you will, at verse 15. Matthew 16 and verse 15. Let's back up a little bit. Verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Jesus said, What's the opinion of the crowd? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So the crowd had a split decision, a split opinion about Jesus. He saith unto them, now looking at his disciples, But whom say ye that I am? Looking at the whole group of disciples, he said, Okay, the crowd is divided over who I am. But whom say ye that I am? Then I, I love this. Simon Peter the big mouth, the impetuous one, the one that says too much sometimes. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was Peter's great declaration of faith. It is significant, by the way, that it took place in Caesarea Philippi. Why? Caesarea Philippi was in the foothills of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the location in Israel that was viewed by Jewish people as the seat of Satan or satanic activity in Israel. And Jesus will refer to something of pagan and demonic worship in a moment. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, said unto him, unto Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, the Spirit of God gave that assurance to Peter in regard to that great confession. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. Now the rock is not Peter. The rock is the confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The rock is not Peter. Peter was not the first pope. Because we don't believe in the popes anyway. Pastor Monty, how do you know Peter wasn't the first pope? Peter had a mother-in-law. If Peter had a mother-in-law, that means he had a wife. If he had a mother-in-law without a wife, he got a real raw deal. So he had to have a wife. <laughs> okay. So he was married. And it's not, it's, you're not a very good pope if you're married. So it, that's just all mythology, the, the Catholic mythology. But he said, verse 8, let me get back to the Bible. I say also unto thee, thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. Note the next words. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, two things. I, Jesus said, will build my church. And then he said this. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, why is it significant? They were at Caesarea Philippi. They were standing in a place that was known as the gates of hell. This is an actual geographical location in Israel. Many of you have been there with me on our trips to Israel. I've been there three times. It is a cave. It is a cave that was viewed as the, a porthole to the netherworld where demonic spirits would come up and down. That's, that's what was believed by the people. You said, Pastor Monty, <laughs> do you think that there's something to that? I actually do. And given its location, given the demonic nature 
of the worship there for thousands of years. And when you go, you'll see the, the, the ruins of the pagan temples there to the various gods, to the Greek god Pan and to others that were worshipped in this place. It's a very dark place. It's a very uh, foreboding place in the sense that a lot of heathenism took place there. And it is in the foothills of Mount Hermon, which is a dark and foreboding place itself. So when Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail, the words gates of hell have direct reference to that geological, uh, the, the geographical, pardon me, location in Caesarea Philippi. Now, having said that, that's good news. That means that the forces of hell and Satan cannot stop the Lord's church. You hear what I said? They'll not prevail. They'll not prevail. Now listen, that does not mean that a given church doesn't go through a lifespan and perhaps close. That's been normative. When we went to visit the, the uh, place of Philippi in Ephesus, great New Testament churches were there. Those churches are not there anymore. But do you know the gates of hell did not prevail? Pastor Monty, that, that church is not there. We're here. We're here. So we're here as a result of the church at Philippi prospering and the gospel being spread. That was where the gospel first went to Europe. We're here as a result of Ephesus. We're here as a result of all of those churches' faithful witness down through 2,000-plus years of church history. May I make a statement, ladies and gentlemen? While the devil has tried to trip up the church, while the devil has tried to close its doors, while the devil has tried to tarnish its reputation, and the devil has tried to turn popular opinion against the church, while all of these things are true, the devil, the gates of hell, cannot ultimately prevail against the Lord's church, period. That's good news. That's good news. So we believe that. But go back to the passage again. He said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, upon this rock will I build my church, his great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The first part of what he said is this, I will build my church. It's interesting. If you're a pastor, you can go to any number of seminars that purport to teach you how to build a church. They called them church growth seminars sometimes, or maybe, and, and, and education is good. I'm very in favor of education. But they, people would go to these things and try to listen to all this and have a plan, and, and, uh, and they, there was a pastor school. How many, Pastor Bill, do you remember pastor school? in Hammond. I went several times, okay? And boy, I'll tell you what, you went there, you learned a bunch of things, and you came back, and you were super excited about it all, and you split your church in two weeks, okay? <laughs> Having done it, you, you tried to do everything they said, and you just split your church. All of these plans and programs, and we've got to do this, and we have to do that, all of that, listen, church, to me sounds very contrived. Do you know what contrived means? generated kind of by human beings. And when asked the question, what's the secret, we've seen God's blessing so, so much here at Faith Baptist. When asked the question, what's the secret, let, let me tell you what I think. Jesus said, I will build my church. You know what's really important about that? It's not Pastor Monty's church. Every once in a while a little kid comes up to me and says with big eyes, Pastor Monty, do you own the church? And with joy in my heart, I say, no, my name's not on any of it. <laughs> but it's not my church. It's his church. 
And I think, and, and I'm gonna get, wanna get into this a little deeper, I think that when we really look at the New Testament, it's not the preacher. Too many people put such a strong emphasis on the human being. Now, now God calls preachers, God calls pastors to come, God calls different men with different talents and personalities and all of that, and God uses men. But ultimately, success does not become at the, come at the hand of a man. If a man begins to believe that that is the case, that man will fail. If a church, listen carefully, if a church begins to believe that that is the case, that church will start looking to that man. He will be viewed as the great leader, he will be viewed as the answer man, and all of a sudden, and we've seen this happen over and over again in all different corners of evangelical, evangelicalism, and all of a sudden, that man becomes bigger than life and he clouds out the Lord Jesus, and Jesus is somewhere in the background, and that man is central. Whenever that happens, that is a serious problem. And no preacher should encourage hero worship of himself because he is just a man. The secret of God's blessing is not the preacher. Number two, <clears throat> it's not the program. It's not the program. Pastor Monty, people must come because you have the most exciting. Now, we've got great programs here, by the way, with great volunteers. But, but does everyone come because of a program? <clears throat> I don't think so. I don't think so. The most exciting, the biggest, the best? No. There's many, many churches that can outdo us on many levels with the program. Someone said, Pastor Monty, they come because of the people. Well, I'm going to tell you this. At Faith Baptist Church, there may be some, some truth to that. Do you know why? This is the best group of people I've ever known in my entire life. Can I brag on you for a minute? Can I brag on you for a minute? We... we I've been here 26 years now. It's now 26 years. That's a long time. And do you know what? We've been through some stuff together, and our God, all God's people said, Amen. we're sticking it out. You know, we had, we had a couple months ago, and I'm not going to bring it up, to, but to say this, we had a little bump in the road. Do you know what? Look at, look at me. You responded to that in such an outstanding and stellar way that I, as your pastor, want to say I am completely proud of you. I, I could not be more pleased at the godly, Christian, prayerful response to that. I, I could not be more pleased with you as a congregation. I could not be more pleased with the compassion and the love and the Jesus that you showed some people going through a difficult time. Do you follow me on that? I want you to know that. If you're visiting and you're like, I wonder about this church, let me tell you, this church has the greatest people I've ever known in my life. If, if, you, were, if you were a bunch of half-wits, I'd have been gone years ago. <laughs> but you're not. You're some of the greatest people I've ever met. But honestly, it's, it's not the people. What, what is the secret? Here's what I think it is. I think... It's allowing the Holy Spirit of God to direct the development of Jesus' church, not my church, Jesus' church, and letting Jesus do what he said he would do. I will build my church. A couple years ago, I went to hear Jim Cimbala. He's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. Anyone ever hear of him? You've heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, amazing choir. You've heard of them. <clears throat> a couple years ago, 
I went to hear Jim Cimbala. He was <coughs> preaching down at the, the Billy Graham Cove, that, that camp that they have down there in North Carolina. Absolutely beautiful place. He was preaching down there. And, and he has pastored the Brooklyn Tabernacle for 50 years. 50 years. I, I've now completed 26 years here. That means, folks, I have 24 more to go. Can you even imagine that? Can you? I, 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 I don't know. What, pray, I, who knows? I don't know. I mean, as long as I'm in good health and stuff, yes, okay. And uh, Jim, he got up and said this, and it was, so, it was the most striking thing he said at the conference. There was probably 300 uh, conservative evangelical pastors in the audience. He got up and he said this. He said, <clears throat> said some of you guys, he said, you ask me sometimes, Pastor Cimbala, who's in his 80s, deep into his 80s, Pastor Cimbala, what is your plan for the next five years? Tell us your five-year plan. And Pastor Cimbala said this. He said, I'm going to tell you something. I don't have a plan. I loved it. He said, you know what my plan is? My plan is every day to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to do what he says because the Holy Spirit is the heavenly administrator of the church. He said, it is my plan to let the Lord lead and direct us. And if we will pray, and if we will seek God's face, he will make it abundantly obvious of what we're to do. Even if we're in a place of doubting or confusion, he will make it clear. And if we'll just day by day by day by day do exactly as the Lord leads, he said, God will bless. You know, we've seen that here. We've seen that here. This past fall, and in his prayer, I love it when John Layton prays. I love it when John Layton prays. In his prayer this morning, John Layton, he talked about that chunk of land over there. You pass money. That must have been in your master plan. Back in the back of your mind, you must have been thinking as the real estate baron of Hendricks County that that land will one day be fair game and you will swoop it up. No, no. There's a tree row there. I never even really noticed that land over there. And then God brought that to our attention. And as John said in his prayer, there was confusion. And we, were, we weren't sure, right, Doug? We weren't sure. We, as deacons, we were discussing it. We weren't sure about it because we didn't know anything. And I wasn't sure about it. When I first heard about it, I thought, ah, you know, maybe, right, Tony? I was like, well, you know, that's kind of a pipe dream, oh, me of little faith. Oh, me of little faith, okay? Kind of a pipe dream, okay. And then step by step by step, and I went on a hunting trip, and I opened my Bible and was just reading it one morning, and I read about the spies, how they were told to go into the land of Canaan, and that there were a couple giants, a bunch of giants there, actually. I mean, big, tall. The average Jew was five foot two at that time. These, these people who were descendants of the Nephilim, they were probably at least as big as I am. Okay, at least as big as, if you're five foot two, I'm kind of a giant compared to you. And, and, uh, but they were scared. They're scared to go into the land. They, and they said, well, we're not going to go into that land. There's giants in that land. We were like grasshoppers in their side. We're not going over there. And Moses said, we got to go. We need to go. We don't want to disobey the Lord. When I read that, and I don't talk this way very often, and you know it. When I read that, it seemed like the Holy Spirit just said, Okay, there's a couple giants over there, a couple hurdles, but I want you to have that. I became convinced in my soul 
in 15 minutes. I went from, I went from doubting Thomas to proclaiming Peter in 15 minutes, and that's something that the Lord did in his leading. Now, he doesn't do that every day to me. I'm not spooky spiritual, okay? But this was one of those things that was so definite in my soul, and I, and I, and I, I called Pastor Wallace. I said, Pastor Wallace, you've just got to tell, share the scripture with the deacons in this meeting, tell them what I feel like the Lord wants us to do. And I never pull that card. Our deacons can, can I don't pull that card, but I felt so convinced that that was of God and God led and opened the door. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's a willingness to be flexible when God is leading. And I think it's a willingness to really trust him and to follow him. And I think, <coughs> help you with this, I think it's a willingness not to have a preconceived idea of developing a customizable church. So when I talk to some young men, they're chomping at the bit to get out of the ministry. They're pastor church or plant a church, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, Pastor Monty, let me tell you about the kind of church I'm gonna pastor. And they'll tell me everything about it, all the details. It's gonna be, maybe they'll say, we're gonna, have, we're gonna be very, very conservative, da 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 Okay, good. Or someone will say, no, Pastor Monty, we're gonna be, I, this is my plan. I'm gonna customize it. It's gonna be loosey-goosey. It's gonna be contemporary. It's, da, 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 da. it's gonna be all these things. This is my plan. And they go into ministry with this huge agenda as to how it has to be, forgetting it's the Lord's church. Now, back to the scripture. Think with me for a moment. Jesus said, I will build my church. That means he's bringing folks to build his church. They're coming in. Now, this church is strong on doctrine. Do you know why? Because the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to, to give ourselves to doctrine and the word of God. That is Bible teaching. We're not a touchy-feely church. We're very strong on Bible doctrine, Bible teaching. And it's interesting to me how many people God has brought and is building his church and they're hearing Bible doctrine. They're all at different levels of spiritual growth, folks. They're, we all are. By the way, everyone in this room is. And yet the Lord has seen fit to build his church. And it's not a customized church. It's not Pastor Monty manipulating people so that he can have a church by design. How many are tired of re religious manipulation? Absolutely tired of it. It's ridiculous, okay? No, no, no. It's God doing something as we open this book. And I, I can't explain it. This is why I don't know what I'm going to say for two hours to these young people this week. I can't explain it. We're, we open the book. We preach the Word of God. The Holy Spirit deals in people's lives. And Christ himself builds the church apart from me enforcing and manipulating anything. This is the miracle of the New Testament church. Well, Pastor Monty, Faith Baptist Church looks a little different from other churches. Look at me. Look at me. Guess what? Every one of the Lord's churches is different. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered the culture of the church at Jerusalem, the very first church, founded the day of Pentecost? It was all Jewish. It was all Jewish. So you better believe, even though they came to understand that they're not saved by keeping the Old Testament law, you better believe they weren't having a hog roast. 
for a fellowship. They didn't. They didn't. Because that, that was just, they just didn't. Okay, they were kind of strict, the Church of Jerusalem. But then the gospel gets into Europe. Paul goes in on his first missionary journey. He starts winning all these people to Christ. <laughs> They're Gentiles. They're Gentiles. And the Jews get all afraid because they're fearful that the churches that Paul is planting in Gentile territory are not carbon, carbon copies of the Jerusalem church. Now I need to pause there for a second. I need to explain to the teenagers carbon copy. <laughs> Jace Tidball, do you know what I mean when I say carbon copy? You don't, see? You're going to learn something. Back in the good old days, amen? Back in the good old days when we wanted to make a copy of something that we were writing, we took a piece of paper, and then we took something called carbon paper. If you rubbed it too much, your hands got black. And you put it on the white piece of paper, and then you put your other piece of paper over the top of that, and then you would write on the top piece of paper and as you wrote on the top piece of paper, the impression came through the black ink on the carbon paper, and it was a copy. Doesn't that sound cool, kids? <laughs> it does. I know, Kyle, I know you're going to go home and order some on Amazon just to see how it works. You're geeky. I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. Do you know the Lord never intended all of his churches to be carbon copies? Did you know that? We're all a little bit different. We're a little bit different. So, well, Pastor Monty, you're an independent Baptist. I know, we're an independent Baptist church. But we're not like everyone else. Do you know why? Jesus builds his church. Pastor Monty, if you don't, if you don't act like everybody else, the club is going to kick you out. Never worried about the club. Never worried about the club. I don't have a religious tattoo. I'm not worried about the club. Do you know what I'm worried about? The glory of God. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about promoting and preaching him. Well, Pastor Ronnie, you know, you've got to dot all your I's and cross all your T's a certain way. No. And when people, by the way, can I say something? No other church is my enemy. Did you hear what I said? Do you want to know what the, my enemy is? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, Pastor, I heard so-and-so is not doing blah, 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 blah at their church. Do you know what? Let me let you in a little secret. I don't care. Do you know why? Maybe God's leading them a different direction. Hey, do this. This isn't in my sermon, but take your Bible. Turn to Romans 14. Just look at this for a second. Romans 14. I love this. I love this. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse number 1. We've got a second here. Romans 14 verse 1. The Bible says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. The weak person is a person with a more sensitive conscience. For one believeth he may eat all things. That would be me. That would be me. Just bring it on, baby. Pork, shellfish, lobster. You know, the, the Jewish folks, they, we all know they don't eat pork. Did you know they don't eat lobster? They don't touch it. They don't touch it. The first time I was in Israel group of college kids, we were going into the holiest location in Israel, the Western Wall. We were going through the airport-style security system of the Western Wall, and we were going to gather there. We were doing this on, on uh, Friday night, the Shabbat night, very, very special time for the Jewish people every Friday night. We were going in to that gathering and uh, walking through there, and I was excited to be there for Shabbat. Had a group of, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 college kids from several Christian colleges. I was kind of their lecturer and chaperone or whatever. We're going through that there. I noticed one of the girls, one of the girls... 
<laughs> this is horrible. One of the girls had a sweatshirt on. It was a white sweatshirt with a gigantic red lobster on the back. Like, who buys something like that? I don't, I don't even understand why you would own that. Like, oh, I've, I've always wanted a lobster sweatshirt. I mean, I, I don't even understand where the idea came from. And there it is, big as day. She might as well have had a hog on the back of her sweatshirt. I told one of the ladies, I said, please, I said, take her somewhere and make her turn that inside out. I said, that could be offensive to Jewish people, but, but um, I don't want to time. Oh, okay, yeah, that was the issue. <laughs> that was the issue here in Romans. Okay, so, one believeth he can eat all things, the other who is weak eateth herbs. He's more vegetarian. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Quit picking on each other over this food issue. Now look at verse number four. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? You know what that means? I don't have the right to pass judgment on another servant of God. That simple. Well, Pastor Monty, no, I just don't. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master, speaking of God? To his own master he standeth or falleth, he'll answer to his master. He's not my employee, he's God's employee. Is everybody following what I'm saying? He's not mine, he's God's. To his own master he standeth or falleth, and then you know what Paul says with great positive, spirit of positivity? He shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. It's a wonderful thing. It's a freeing thing when I recognize that my responsibility before God is Faith Baptist Church. It's a wonderful thing because it focuses my attention on what God is doing here and it frees me from the concern of what might be happening somewhere else. And do you know what the beauty of that is? The beauty of that is this. It allows the Lord, if we're willing, it allows the Lord to build his church his way. And you know what happens? Something better than you ever could have imagined. So 26 years ago, I became pastor of this church, 26 years ago. In my wildest imagination, I never would have predicted what God would do. In my wildest imagination, never would have predicted it. And at times it was so overwhelming, especially the last five years, folks, so overwhelming at times that I, I was both amazed and it made me anxious until I recognized something, and this is the key. It is his church, he will build his church, he will protect his church, and it's his. And when we recognize that, 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 that helps us to accept things. God's doing something bigger than I know. I sure don't know. I don't know. God's doing something bigger than I know. That helps me to accept it. By the way, it gives me incredible peace. It also gives me incredible freedom rather than worrying about manipulating everyone into a corner. It gives me incredible freedom to open up the book of God and just preach his word and let the Holy Spirit be the heavenly administrator of the church and to believe in my heart that not only Will the gates of hell not prevail, but on the positive, not on the defensive now, 
But on the positive, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's an amazing thing when you say, Lord, this is yours. Lord, you guide, you direct, you do the thing that you want to do. You make, our, if our church doesn't look like everybody else's church out there, that's fine. You just, you just do that. We allow God to lead. We're flexible. We're open to opportunity. We love the variety of the people that God brings in. We simply teach New Testament truth and focus on the Word of God. And then we step back and see what God has done. And I will just say this. It's all Him. It's all Him. It's all Him. Oh, Pastor Monty, you're a brilliant organizer. Yeah, be kidding. You haven't known me for five seconds if you think I'm a brilliant. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. They, I'm so disorganized and so awful that the staff many years ago locked me out of the church calendar. I can look at it, but I can't change it. I can't add to it. It takes an act of Congress to put something on the church calendar I, 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 because I messed it up too many times. Do you know what it is? God's done something. And, and when we recognize that, we can say with clarity, with conviction, and from our heart, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And folks, that's what truly gives God the glory. Let's thank him for what he's done. He's done a marvelous work. Let's thank him for that. Let, let's be whom he has led us to be. Okay, uh, not, don't worry about the club or the group or the circle or the camp. I don't care about any of that. Let's, let's be whom he has called us to be in the name of Jesus for the testimony of Christ in our area. Father, we love you and thank you for the Bible and the promise that not only will you protect the church from the prevailing power and ills of Satan, but you will build your church. Lord, this is your church. It's yours. To God be the glory, everything good, Lord. We just look at it and say, to God be the glory. Thank you for what you are doing. Now, Father, I pray that as we move forward, you'll help us to simply be sensitive to the Spirit of God, that you will make your will known, that we will not have an agenda except to follow Christ. Lord, please make that so for us so that we can honestly do what you would have us to do in this location, in this culture, in this area, in this atmosphere. Father, you've, you've done something special. Lord, we love you and praise you for it. And we surrender this to you. It is yours. And all we ask, Lord, is that you'll guide us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, stand with me, please, everyone together. Everyone standing together. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. For folks visiting with us, we do this after Sunday morning, Sunday night service. If you've come our way tonight, I did not preach a particularly evangelistic message, but maybe you come troubled, you don't know where you stand with God or where your relationship with God is. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn, and when we start to sing, we'll invite you to come. Our pastors came down to the front. Uh, they would love to help you with that, to pray with you. If, you. if you want to know the Lord or you're not sure where you stand with God, 
I want you to come to the front. They'll take you somewhere privately and show you from a Bible quickly how you can have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's our invitation. If you're a Christian tonight and you say, Pastor Monty, the Lord spoke to me about something, or maybe you have a prayer burden or want to pray for a need or someone else's need, the altars are open for prayer. We invite you to pray as well. If you want to join the church, come talk to a pastor. They'll help with that. You come as we sing the hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. Come as we sing together. I need thee every hour, most pray.